Tuesday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And it's game day for the Toronto Raptors. As we get set for the Charlotte Hornets in town facing the Raptors. And it starts a stretch of very important games for the Raptors coming up over the next eight uh, in terms of the stretch games, the quality of opponents as we stare down the barrel of the NBA trade deadline fast approaching as well. So uh, we will discuss that and more not only on today's show but in a lot of the upcoming shows. But Jonesy, certainly uh, this one tonight you want to get back on track following the game. A couple of days ago that started extremely ugly, continued to be ugly, then a Glorious comeback that fell short and ultimately putting you in position where you've got to get back on track with this one uh, this evening against Charlotte and try and wipe out the memory of that game against the Blazers. Well, um, yeah, Eric, but, you know, I look at I look at the team and the way um, the way they've been playing, um, you know, kind of up and down there there are you know good games followed by bad games and uh, I, I think it's I, I think it's part of a team that's still they have an identity uh, but it, it hasn't they haven't consolidated it yet it hasn't become consistent they they, they don't uh, they're not always able to do it I mean you look at, at Sunday's game the first half was dreadful you're down 34. And, you know, you heard Pascal talk about it. It would have been easy to kind of fold the tent and go, well, you know what? One of those nights, um, nothing's going. Uh, you know, let's, let's, let's fold the tent and, and go home and we'll come back and we'll pitch it another game. No. Like, they expended a lot of energy. And this, the, the determination and the resiliency got them back to within four with a minute to go, just like any other game that anybody could have been in, any team could have been in. But, um, you know, it, you look at the way it happened. This was not a, a game where somebody had a, a six, eight, ten-point lead and then there was a run and a swing. This was a 34-point deficit that they cut down to four. It, like I said, it didn't – it looked like another game in score, but it wasn't anything like it. I, I, I just think they have to become more consistent and, and need to find a way that um, – you know that they're, you know they're 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 doing the right things consistently from from start to finish. They just Sunday their defense at the start of the game when they couldn't score their defense let them down, and this is a team that's rooted in defense. They can't have those kind of letdowns. Nope, they can't. Uh, they can't have those kind of letdowns, especially if you know they continue to to want to be in the conversation that we've been discussing uh, with them uh, as it relates to them being right in the mix there. For the uh, you know the the play-in tournament, the the way things are stacking up in the Eastern Conference, kind of continuing to jam up the Raptors, uh, stay in that ninth seed uh, as they enter action tonight, sitting a game. Check that two and a half games back. See Jonesy, math. Anytime I try to do math, anytime I try to do math, look at the lost column, man. I'm telling you. I know. Well, I know. I know the the lost lost column. column. See, that'd be easier. Okay, fine. I can handle that. One back, one back in the loss column. There you go. When I start seeing four and six and a half and point, plus I'll tell you what, too, just quickly as a diversion. Anybody else? Hands up. That was up till 3 a.m. watching Dennis Shapovalov and, and Rafael Nadal. So I'm, I'm a little bit fatigued today after staying up till My 3 a.m. Yeah. I, I, I didn't yeah. uh, probably fall asleep till I don't know, 3.30 maybe by the time it actually the body shut down and, and an early turnaround, get my kid ready, and here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah, my hand was up too. 
Yeah, yeah. It was a hell of a match. Like, I, it I, was. Listen, it was. Two zip. I was thinking, all right, I'm going to bed. Like, he's not coming back. And then I watched the third set, and I saw the third set win. I'm like, nah. Okay, you know what? I'm in then. I'm in. And he wins the fourth, and I, I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm happy for him, and I'm cheering him on, and I want to see a, the comeback. But now it's like, man, now I have to. <laughs> I'm committed to this yes, now. Yes. Right? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was the same way. I was the same way. Two nothing, and I'm kind of looking over notes for tonight and Charlotte, and and kind of one eye on it. And he, uh, he's down two sets to Rafa. He's he's one in three lifetime against him. This this, I mean, you might be putting out the fire and calling in the dogs. This this hunt could be over. And then all of a sudden he wins two. And now, by the fifth set, I'm wired. And I, to me, that thing changed when he tied it at two sets and and Nadal won the first game of the fifth set and then broke him right away. Now you're down 2 nothing, and, you know, Nadal's feeling confident. He's kind of got it back. You go down 3 nothing. It, it, you're, it, it's too much to overcome that kind of stuff twice against a champion like that. So good effort, though. Good effort. He, you know, he made Rafa work, De- definitely. That's, the, uh, that's being a sports fan in the Eastern time zone, though, right? <laughs> I mean, listen, I know yeah. Australia Australia is an extreme example, but even when we're talking West Coast, like, if anybody, I'm sure most of you that are listening have at least vacations to the West Coast, to the Pacific time zone for a couple of days, a week, a couple of weeks, let alone spent maybe a month, a year, whatever, outside of the Eastern time zone. So most of you know what I'm talking about. What a difference it makes when when you're kind of oh. mid-afternoon. And, like the whole idea of the siesta, to me, rarely happens in the east because you're busy working. But heck, out west, oh, what time is it? Hmm, 3 o'clock? Hey, what if we cut out early and catch the pregame show at like, uh, you know, 6, 6.30 Eastern? It's only 3, 3.30. Have a couple of pints on the patio. Watch the game that starts at 4. It ends at 7. Ah, it's time for dinner. Oh, you know, now the quote-unquote west coast, the local games are starting. And you've watched, like, a couple of games, and it's 10 o'clock, and you can go to bed at a normal time, right? You might not have worked as much, but you go to bed at a normal time, so maybe you can get up a little early and start work a little earlier because you can end work earlier. We're getting pooched here in the east, I'm telling you. What, like, what were we thinking here when we decided to plant roots in the east? Like, we got great jobs and, 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 and a good life and everything, but, man, the time zone and the weather. Like, one of my buddies says to me all the time, he's like, my parents had a choice of moving to like Florida or California or even BC when they moved from India and they chose Toronto. <laughs> like and I love Toronto, but man, right now Jonesy and I know you, the weather right now yeah. like counting down the days until the toot comes off and the shorts come back on, right? Uh well, yeah, it's what 56 Which for you days is July 5th, day. but you know 56 days until the first day of spring and then at least we're 50 50 for time and i i can look at i can look at the sun a little longer we we get into savings time so yeah we're we're counting it down 50, i think it's 56 days to spring um my last count a few days ago 59 so i'm i'm, I'm not exact but about 56 days to spring two more weeks till the masters Another couple of weeks till the golf season starts, and 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 we're 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 back in business. But e, you talk about the time zone thing, and you know me, I'll, I'll get up like I'll watch the Australian Open. Um, I'll get up to watch like the British Open, like like golf mm-hmm. uh, when it's on one of the majors. And I was out west one year, uh, July. I was at I was at an event. 
and I was out there for a few days while the, the British Open golf tournament started. And normally, you're right, like it starts, they get up at, they start the tee times at like, you know, six, seven in the morning, which is, you know, one, one, two here. But when you're out west, that's only 11 o'clock. So you can stay up and watch it for a couple hours and go to bed. It's not, it's just that, it just, like you said, the little, the little things when we're on, when we're with the team and you're out in LA or, or you're in Sacramento and there's a, a, a NFL starts at 10 in the morning, you, you roll out of bed and you, you're watching football. Like you're, you're, you're watching it. And even the late game, the Sunday night game that starts at eight, that's five. By the time you're done, you can still go and have dinner. So yeah, we're uh, and 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 now the the people that move from out west, I remember former Raptor head coach who was in town tonight, Jay Triano, saying, "Now I get it." We used to say, "Oh, you guys never, you don't like us out west, you don't pay attention." He said, "I can't stay awake to watch the games that start at ten <laughs> thirty. Like it's 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 hard to do." So anyway, good run there, by Chapo yesterday. Hey. There is a segue here. I honestly didn't think we'd, we'd, we'd go that long on tennis, not that I mind. But I assume you're probably, probably in the same boat as me, knowing you and knowing our habits, and you're even more uh, committed than me on some nights. I'm you know, watching some TV with the family last night. I admit I did not see New York, Cleveland, or Indiana uh, and, and the Pelicans. I saw part of Chicago OKC. Then I watched Utah Phoenix. Family had gone to bed. I'm, I'm doing my thing watching Utah Phoenix. And then I could have shut it down at that point, but no, turn on the Chapel match and start watching that. So, I mean, sports, late-night sports, uh, especially when we talk about NBA and NHL and those West Coast games, uh, especially on a weeknight that tip at 10, 1030. It's always something to do, always something to watch. And how about the Suns last night beating the Jazz by six? They've now won seven in a row. And sit at thirty-seven and nine. They're now three up. Excuse me, three and a half up on the Golden State Warriors, which is bonkers to me that they have started to create that much separation. Because heck, Jonesy, Golden State's thirty-four and thirteen. That's a hell of a record too. But are you kidding me? Thirty-seven and nine and a seven-game winning streak. It is unbelievable what the Suns are doing. I'll tell you. I don't know if you agree. I, I remember I said this to you last year when they were making their run towards. Uh, you know, not just the postseason, but obviously the conference finals and then, and then the, uh, the NBA finals. I look at their team, and I look at the pieces, and I think it's a very good team. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a very good team. I think it's a top-four team in the conference and arguably in the league. So maybe I'm splitting hairs a little bit here. But even with Chris Paul and Devin Booker and the rest, I don't look at the team on paper and go, championship, like number one seed, 37-9, and nine top spot for championship content. I don't look at it like that, but you start factoring in the X factors of chemistry and cohesion and coaching. I wasn't even trying to go all C's there. And the right mix of, of people and personalities and the familiarity, and it all just starts bubbling together, and it comes out the way it is. Like, it's amazing to watch. It's a classic case of um, when you look at it, the, the, the sum is greater than the individual parts. They just, and again, it, it just continues to amaze me how our, our brothers and sisters in the media don't look at a guy like Chris Paul as an MVP. 
because of his numbers. Well, oh, his numbers. I mean, Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic are putting up unbelievable numbers. But you know what? Denver's in sixth and Philly's in sixth. And those guys are having great seasons. But if you look at impact on a winning team, I mean impact. Chris Paul's numbers aren't great, but take him off that team and what happens? Mm -hmm. They're probably down in six or seven. So I, I, I don't I don't I don't I don't get it. People get so caught up with numbers. I, I just you know and and is he the best player on his team? Maybe not. Maybe that might go to Devin Booker. I I don't know. But they're 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 clearly and the season's not over, but at this point in the season they're clearly the best team. So why wouldn't you look at one of the guys on the best team that's leading them and having an impact for the MVP? I I will never understand it. I guess I'm I guess I'm old fashioned and I and I look at things a different way. And winning carries more of a um, carries more weight, carries more of a an oomph than just well look at the numbers. Because even on a bad team, somebody's going to get. Somebody's going to be the leading scorer. Somebody's going to get 20 points. I'm not saying Philly and 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 uh, Denver are bad teams. Maybe they need to put better guys around them. That's not their fault, Jokic or, or Embiid. But this team does have the right parts, and they are winning. So how can That's you, the, you know, how there's can Daryl you... Morey calling Jonesy. Daryl Morey saying, what are you saying about yeah. my Sixers? Hold on. <laughs> Pick up that phone and, and talk to Daryl Morey, Jonesy. No, no, no way. No, no chance. Not unless he's giving us Ben Simmons for a couple of draft picks. <laughs> and and there's another situation of a guy holding out. Daryl Morey is, uh, Daryl Morey is, he's determined to get something for Ben Simmons. I, I wish I, I wish I would have put a couple dollars on it a couple of weeks ago, even when we were talking about it. I don't think Ben Simmons plays this year. Certainly not Man. for the Sixers. I don't think he plays okay. this year at all. Okay, so let me let me ask you this based on that. And 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 folks, let me give you my preface. In spite of what some of you might think, I am not an idiot. It's not like the guy is going to forget how to play or suddenly have a complete drop off of all talent and all skill. But I'll tell you Jonesy, unless it is for a bargain. I mean a bargain. I am not trading for Ben Simmons if he does not play for an entire year, for an entire calendar year, let alone season. I am not trading for him. If I were president or general manager, unless I can absolutely give next to nothing and completely fleece the 76ers and give up like a pick and maybe a starter but not a star, I am not trading for a dude that has not played for an entire calendar year. No chance. Because, again, I know he ain't going to forget how to play, but I want no part of that. Zero. Well, um, it's complicated in Philly. It's complicated. Uh, he's, not, he's, not, uh, uh, he's not getting what he wants. And to Daryl Morey's credit, I mean, he is saying, hey, Ben, we're paying you, you know, $30 million. We're, we're, we're the ones that are, are – we're the, we're the boss – like, we pay you. You don't tell us what to do. We pay you. We'll tell you what we expect from our employees. 
And Ben Simmons says, I want to be traded. They're like, okay, we'll do that. When we get the right deal, in good time, when we are ready. We, you still work for us. So in that sense, you know, I give, I give Daryl Morey credit that he wants exactly, he knows exactly what he wants for Ben Simmons. And if he doesn't get it, he's going to wait till he gets, gets it or gets something very close to it. I don't think we see Ben play this year. Yeah, well, listen, you, you may be right, but I think it's kind of coming back to bite both parties, unfortunately, because I don't think Maury's going to ultimately get what he wanted or what he thought he would get initially. And I think it's obviously going to bite, and it already has bitten, Ben Simmons in terms of the money that he's lost. I think the reputation for what that's worth has taken a big-time hit. And ultimately, too, you've just wasted uh, at least half, if not potentially, a, an entire season of your career in your prime. For what? Because you weren't making enough money? No. Because you weren't on a contending team? No. Because you don't like your situation? Seriously? Like, I did not think we would be still talking about Ben Simmons to this extent and having no resolution on January 25th. So to your point, you might be bang on that he ain't playing all year. So, I don't know, maybe at some point we need to get to a point where we just put a ban on talking about Ben Simmons or anything. Because I'll tell you, once the trade deadline comes and goes, there's no reason to talk about him. If he isn't moved in the next few weeks, there's zero reason to mention his name until July. Right? Well, June. Yeah, the trade deadline. (laughs) Sorry, draft day. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I guess technically, yes. I guess technically draft day something could go down, but it it isn't official until July, so... All right, fine. I'll compromise. June. True, true. The moratorium. If he's not moved, you're right. If he's not moved by the trade deadline or after the trade deadline, the Smith and Jones Ben Simmons ban will be on. Those names, those words will not be uttered from our mouths. Ben Simmons ain't happening. Um, All right, Raptors and Charlotte tonight uh, down at Scotiabank Arena. You and I have the call of the game, so you get a double dip of Smith and Jones today, folks. Uh, I wanted to highlight one thing that maybe we should have made a little bit more of a big deal of. Oh, and by the way, just take note, front night of a back-to-back for the Raptors tonight. So 7 o'clock tip-off, 7 o'clock tip-off, not 7.30, 7 o'clock tip-off for the Raptors and Hornets tonight down at Scotiabank Arena. Yesterday, we had Brian Windhorse on from ESPN, obviously ESPN Insider, fabulous guy, fabulous guest, love having him on. He said something, and... You know, we were having a bigger, broader conversation, so neither one of us jumped on it and, and kind of made a bigger deal. But I was thinking back, we just sort of glazed over that Brian Windhorse said emphatically, Fred Van Vliet will be an all-star. Now, he doesn't know that, but he's certainly plugged in, and he's certainly tapped into what's going on around the league with everything. I mean, it's hard to find other than, like, and I shouldn't say other than, in addition to... Woj and Shams, Windhorse right up there at the top. And if he's putting the stamp of the approval saying Fred Van Vliet will be an all-star, man, that's that's the most uh, decisive statement we've heard from anybody to this point. We've been talking about Van Vliet and the all-star for at least a couple of weeks now, if not a month, and most people are saying, yeah, he should and he probably will or he might be left off. Oh, it's going to be tight. It's Garlo. Oh, there's a lot of different people. It was emphatic, Windhorse said, Van Vliet will be an all-star. And it made me think back to a couple of days ago. We didn't play this yesterday, but let me play for the audience right now, Jonesy. Chauncey Billups, head coach of the Blazers, after Portland beats Toronto a couple of nights ago. Here is Billups 
as a former guard himself, as a former All-Star, an NBA champion, talking about Fred VanVleet. Freddie is, um, he's just so underappreciated to me by the league. You know, I think he's maybe the most underrated player in the game. Um, he can do it all. I mean, he doesn't get the credit for being, he really is like a lockdown defender. Um, he's a big shot taker and maker. Um, he's able to ma- manipulate defenses with his skill set and his IQ. Um, and, you know, those those type of, when, when most players can do those type of things, those are the superstars in our league, you know. So I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves. He's tough as nails, you know. Um, I've been I've been proud to watch him, you know, to watch him develop um, and continue uh, to get better and better and just lead his guys. That's Chauncey Billups about Fred Van Vliet. It's hard to get a better endorsement than that. Yeah, yeah. You could see during the game uh, on Sunday too a lot of a lot of small talk, a lot of kibitzing between Chauncey and and Fred now. You know, to to take this uh, to another degree, um, Chauncey was one of Kyle Lowry's mentors. And they had a lot of conversations and discussions, and there was a lot of teaching going on there. And Fred's no dummy. I mean, he's going to be in on those, too, whenever he can. So, you know, Chauncey had really kind of an indirect hand, I I would say, in Fred's development. And, And, you know, now he's a coach, and you're just hearing him talk about watching this guy. Fred's numbers, Eric, when you look at some of the company he's keeping with uh, his elite, his elite status uh, with the numbers. And and again, I'll say this. Fred is an all-star. He is an all-star. He's playing at an all-star level. He is an all-star. However, people will look at it and say, the same way I look at the MVP, people say he's a ninth. Now, this is different because we're not picking a singular player. This is an all-star team. And, uh, you know, I, I, I look at the standings, and there's Cleveland. One, two in a row. They're, what, a game and a half out of first in, in fifth. Darius Garland just did something that no other player's done since LeBron. I believe it was five straight games with ten or more assists. So that, that, that kid's, like, I don't know how you can take him off an all-star team. Uh, you know, I there's part of me that says you should expand the all-star roster since it is the fans' game. But then again, it's kind of like when they moved the NCAA tournament from 64 to 68 and had play-in scenarios. There's still somebody at 69, 70, 71. There's still a team that's saying we should be in. So I, I, I'm not sure what you do with the all-star game, but, um, you, you know, uh, it's... Maybe you expand the rosters. Maybe you I, – I like the fact that the, the commissioner or there's some, some wild card picks in there. That that stuff is is good. But it, it would be hard to deny Fred a spot. I mean, just look at what he's doing for this team. Uh, problem is people will look and say they're in ninth. But if he gets voted in by the coaches, that says something. Uh, yeah, listen – that you've said it so many times before, and and we'll we'll kind of echo the the sentiment that it says arguably more, and that's not to fly in the face of the fans, but at the same time, it's no longer a hundred percent fans. It's fans, it's media, it's players, it's whatever. Uh, it, you know, I saw who was it? Who was it? 
Uh, Eric Kareen, I believe. Uh, yeah, it was. It was Eric from The Athletic. And, and, and I'm not saying this in a negative way. I think that uh, my ballot probably would have been identical to Eric's. But he posted, uh, he had a, a, a media uh, vote ballot for uh, the All-Star starters. And he had Trey Young as his starter. And, I, you know, you and I have talked about this at great length many times. You look at the standings. Not this year. And, and you see Atlanta in 12. Now, they've won four in a row. So they're now only four below 500, and they're only a game and a half out of that 10th seed for the play-in. But here's the thing, Jonesy. I hear what you're saying about not this year. I'd be hard-pressed to come up with another player to start if, again, you're factoring in, yes, I know win-loss record, but also you do have to factor in individual statistics. And I know what you just said 10 minutes ago about somebody True. still scoring even on a bad team. But then also factoring in the popularity because it is a game for the fans. It's an all-star game for the fans. It's about the show. It's about showing off the league and putting the spotlight on the best players. So when I look around the league, like, I don't know if you agree. Here's my take. And I, know, I think I said this to you two weeks ago or three weeks ago. If I'm looking for all-star caliber starting guard, especially point guard, but starting guard. Number one seed, Heat. No disrespect to Kyle Lowry. I don't think he's the starting point guard in the All-Star game this year based on how he individually has played. He's played good. I don't think he's played great, but his team has been very good. The Bulls, I'm not taking anything away from Lonzo Ball. But I think we're looking clearly more at DeRozan and Levine than we are at Ball. So I don't think he's getting the start. Brooklyn, no. The Bucks, mm. maybe Drew Holiday, maybe. Cleveland, we're having more conversations about Darius Garland in a dogfight with Fred Van Vliet, not necessarily about being the starter. Maybe he's the one that should be the starter. Philly, no. Charlotte, LaMelo, eh, I don't yeah. think so. I, I, Boston, no. Washington? No. So all of a sudden you get down and go, all right, I guess it is Trey Young. Right? Like I, I, I could see that. I could see that. I, although I would, again, factoring winning um, and impact, I could, I could see Kyle, especially with his really? history in okay. the All-Star game. Yeah, I could see Kyle getting a nod. Um, you know, and then you're right. It, and then you're looking at, you know, um, and then you're probably looking at Garland, LaMelo Ball, Van Vliet, and Trey Young. So in that sense, my first thought is with Trey Young, not this year. And then you drill, as you just did, drill down a little bit deeper. Yeah, I, could, I, 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 can, I can see it, even though his team's 21 and 25. And, and that's, you know, it's an argument that, that, that uh, I think we've seen from uh, Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal, where... Shaq's willing to give the guy whose team is 10th and has great stats, give him the all-star nod because it's about the year and he can't help the people around him. He can't help that, uh, the people that they have put around him. But yet Charles on the other side is like, well, hey, man, he's not winning. He just, he's a really good player on a bad team. And now the argument starts. Are you rewarding winning? How much should winning count? The guy's having a great year. He can't help what a lousy team management has put around him. He shouldn't be penalized for that. Um, you know, have at it. You know, carry on. Have at it. Do, do, do as you – let me hear everybody's opinion on it. So I, I think somewhere there's a balance there. 
Um, and again, this is different because I, I brought up the MVP earlier. That's that's a singular award, whereas an all-star, it's, it's, you, you do have all those factors to consider, like you said, E, rightfully so. Uh, it's a game for the fans. Uh, it's a team thing. Uh, all of those, all of those, the guy can't help it who's around him, or he can't help his record, or should he be able to help his record? If he's that much of an all-star, why isn't his team better? I think the Hawks, personally, with Trey Young and the Hawks, he's having a terrific year. I, I think they are suffering from, oh, we were a young team that made it to the conference finals last year. Uh, start the season, yeah, okay, just meet us in the conference finals again. And I'll never forget the words of John Lucas when he was an assistant in Toronto. Um, and, and the Raptors won the division. And the next year came up and he said, got to go back to the bottom of the hill again. You, yep. you, you don't get to start halfway up again you you go back down to the bottom and you slug it out with everybody else and you start climbing and see if you can get back to the same spot so i i think atlanta's guilty of that along with expectations and everything else they made that run last year and it's changed everything for that franchise right now i don't disagree with that at all jonesy i don't disagree i guess the the only counter that that i can ever come up with to the uh, individual success and and stats versus team success or lack thereof. Hey, if you go out there every night, man, and you bust your tail, and Jonesy, you're putting up numbers, and you're diving after loose balls, and you're playing 42, 44 minutes a night, and you're putting up career highs and assists and points and rebounds, and you're doing every damn thing that you can, and you are clearly, clearly the best player on the floor on a lot of nights on either team, but you got no help around you or the rest of the guys around you are dogging it or having off years or whatever, is that your quote-unquote fault? I mean, you're doing your job and you're busting your tail. You're just not on a very good team right now. So it doesn't yeah. take away from your individual skills and talent and effort, et cetera, right? So it's, it's, uh, that's, that's, why, that's why, listen, we've had the conversation even about the Raptors where I can see one getting in, I don't know if two do because of record. Because my, my theory is, and that's not to imply that Pascal's not out there toughing it out and grinding and bringing his all and putting up great numbers and everything else. But if you got two guys doing that, well, at some point, you do have to look at record and say, you got to be winning. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I can, yeah. I can, I can yeah. give you one, but I can't give you two. Um, anyway, maybe that's something we can get into next with our next guest, but we've got lots to discuss with Bobby Marks from ESPN, also host of The Front Office on ESPN. Uh, he will join us on Smith & Jones on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Joining us on the line right now, Bobby Marks. Bobby, thanks as always for the time. Hey, guys. How are you? Good, thanks. All hey, good, Bobby. Hey, uh, Bobby, I want to start with the Cavs, uh, obviously. But, you know, why not with, with you just having spoken with uh, Kobe Alden? Yeah. Uh, last night they get the win. Uh, you know, two straight now for the Cavs, but more importantly, eight and two over their last ten. Ten games above five hundred now. Uh, I don't know about you, but I certainly didn't see this coming. Not to this extent. How have the Cavs done it, especially without Sexton? Oh, I didn't see it coming at all. And, and I talked when I talked to Kobe on, on the show. I you know I had to apologize because we had them as thirtieth ranked team in the future power rankings, and that's how much we thought about 
what the future holds. I mean, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, certainly Darius Garland has played with a ton of confidence. I mean, he hit a three last night in the corner um, to put them up three, and I think he was 0 for 5 before he hit that shot from deep, and uh, certainly a lot of confidence. And, you know, you got Jared Allen playing like an all-star. Evan Mobley, certainly the right pick where where they um, are. And you got Kevin Love playing like a six-man-of-the-year candidate. I mean, we all thought that that contract was an albatross, and now he has bought in. Um, and, and they've sustained, as you said, the Colin Sexton injury. Ricky Rubio goes down. Uh, Laurie Markkinen just sprained his ankle pretty bad. And they're still just hanging in there. And um, it's a tribute. They've uh, they've done a nice job to um, to kind of put that roster together. But a lot of it, it's, you know, it's, it's you know, draft. Um, Garland, Mobley, they probably benefit a little bit with Sexton out because, um, you know, kind of you kind of delegate a little bit more of the work there. Uh, Bobby, we were, we were talking about Garland in another light. Um, all-star and all-star uh, substitutes. And to me, that's, that's really important because now it's the coaches that's, that are saying, hey, you're an all-star. Not necessarily the you know, popularity slash uh, fan vote that, that, that people get skewed by uh, through marketing and stuff like that. Um, you know, we were talking about Van Vliet in the same light. And, and where do you weigh winning against a guy's individual year? And what was your, when you were in a front office, what was the, the front office, the team, what was their philosophy on voting for reserves? Well, I mean, the philosophy of voting for reserves was, and it, this is going to sound awful, but a lot of it had to do with if you had one of your guys competing for that reserve spot and you, your goal was to try to get your guy in, if that meant probably not voting for somebody that was more deservable. And, and then front offices look at that way, and it's, it's not the way to look at it, but you're trying to protect your own, own player here. I'm not saying that you're going to vote for a player that's uh, a reserve and has, has – um, you know, a rotational player and has no chance, but maybe a borderline all-star that you'll maybe give a little bit more of a nod. And I think Fred deserves to be in the all-star game. I think, I think I have, you know, I go through every other day, kind of a list of notes as far as the reserves and we'll see what happens when, um, you know, the starters get announced, I think on Thursday here, but I think both players, I think Fred, I think Darius deserves to be in there. I think certainly how the team plays, plays, um, should play a little bit of a role, but, you know, if we're basing it on, you know, if you're 500 or above, you know, then then Trey Young's not going to be in the All Star game, and I think he'll get selected here. So, um, I, you know, Sabonis is an interesting thing because they're what 10 games under 500. Does he get the nod as one of those forward positions here? So, I think if a player certainly stands out and the team is winning, even if they are around 500, I think that gives them probably a, a little bit more of an edge. Speaking with Bobby Marks from. ESPN. Bobby, um, let me take what we've been discussing but apply it to the deadline fast approaching, but more so how you would approach things. You're in a front office again, and you're kind of eyeballing what to do with your team that's somewhere in the uh, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 range because are you gearing up for a run that might last a day uh, in the play-in? Are you gearing up for trying to grab that 6th, 5th, 4th seed, or are you throwing in the towel saying, no, you know what? I'm fine with being a bottom four, not even being in the conversation. This this play-in tournament, I would assume, has thrown a lot of executives for a loop in terms of not knowing really what to do. 
Yeah, I think what I what I would be doing would be I'm trying to I would be trying to combine the off season free agency into the trade deadline. Um, and I and I say that because I just finished writing an article that will come out after the deadline, and um, it's not pretty. <laughs> I mean, it's not pretty. There's 27 out of the 30 teams are projected to be over the cap, right? It's a, an average free agent market. So can you go out and get do some of your free agent shopping in a trade? and get maybe one or two players that has some length on their contract that can help you now. And then in, in the off season, you know, you won't have to worry about that. And I think that's the, the approach I would, I would probably look at here, even if you are the seventh seed or a team fighting, you know, you know, just to get into the play in as long as you're not giving up a ton for it. And, um, I try to combine both things. I think that's kind of how, um, you know, the off season, if you're relying on the off season to improve your roster, I think, I think you're kind of going down the wrong uh, the wrong path there. Uh, so, Bobby, if you're a team, and I'm kind of looking at the standings now, if you're a team, as Eric said, that's that's in that play-in, if you're uh, if you're Charlotte, if you're Toronto, you know, if you're Washington, you know, you're you're kind of in that seven to ten range. Uh, what? What do you value more right now uh, as as an executive? The the pressure cooker of the playoffs and experience for some of your young players, because all of those teams have, with the exception of Washington, maybe, but uh, you know, like Toronto, Charlotte, like they're they're relatively young still. Uh, do you value the experience, playoff experience for your young players, combined with some of your vets? I, I'm thinking about Toronto or. Do you say, no, we stand pat, we stay where we are, we'll see what happens, as you said, in, in, in July, in June, uh, draft day, and, and start looking at stuff then. But for now, we're going to stand pat. Yeah, and I, I think it's a little bit of a, um, a disservice to your players if you kind of wave the white flag at the deadline um, and say, you know what, we're just going to ride with what we have. And if we get in, we get in. If we don't, I think the you know the the you know the window for guys like you know certainly Fred um, at an All Star level, you know who knows where he'll be next year. You know Pascal, some of these other guys. I think I think you can play you can player develop and still win and play at a competitive level. And I think putting players in a spot, whether it be in April. Uh, or in the play-in tournament where you're playing, I always say, you know, competitive games or games that mean something down the stretch. I mean, that's the best player development out there that you can you can do and, and put Scotty in a position to, yeah. you know, where it's a, a must-win game or it's a play-in type game rather than kind of just playing out the string. But on the other side of it, you know, you're like you're not giving up multiple first-round picks just to get in, right? Like you're not you're not you're protecting the future, but I do think that if there are some minor deals that you can go out and do, and I think Toronto is a good example, like, you know, there are some games where, you know, Nick's playing, what, six guys, you know, based on what he has, you know, Gary being out, you know, they're, you know, your, 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 your bench is thin. So can you go out and maybe add a couple, you know, players to that? I think that's the approach that you take. And, um, but I do think there is value to be a playing, playing team um, in April. Speaking with, 
Bobby Marks from ESPN. Bobby, um, one of the teams, and I'm going I'm to take you inside. Trust me, you, you've got better chats and conversations than we do. I'm, I'm sure you do. But our, our little group chat on the uh, on the show here with our, our producer and our engineer, Lance and Mark and Jones and I, we're all typing back and forth. And, and literally 20 minutes ago, we're talking about, and I, I've already put down the edict, Bobby, if he's not moved by the deadline, I'm not mentioning the name, the words, Ben Simmons, the rest of the season. Because there, there's no reason to. If he's not traded, there's no reason to talk to him until June, July. Um, But in talking about a potential landing spot, there's a rumor out there, and and we don't often do the rumor mill thing on this show, uh, talking about Sacramento and a potential deal with the Kings. But I'm actually not going to ask you about Ben Simmons here. Sacramento, what do they do? Like, uh, this team has forever been not even on the treadmill. Like, like, I mean, we're making jokes about just move them out of Sacramento, give the organization (laughs) a fresh start, let alone the players. Like, what do the Kings do? Yeah, it's in there. You know, Monty McNair is their you know general manager. He's been there. You know, this is <clears throat> excuse me, a second year, and there's a priority to get in, even if it's just a play-in. And I, I can't trust this roster. There are some nights they look great. There are some nights they lose home to, to Detroit at home, and you have a lot of movable pieces that a lot of teams like, whether it be. <clears throat> You know Harrison Barnes or Buddy Heald, and you know what you know. It looks like De'Aaron Fox is not um, you know on the table. We'll see what happens with Halliburton here. But for me, you know, when you're you know you know on the outside looking in, every nobody should be off the table. Everybody should be available in the trade if it can help you, and that includes De'Aaron Fox. I mean, let's face it; they they pay him like he's an all star, a franchise player, and he's not. I mean, when you pay a player max salary, there's certainly an expectation to it, and um, he has not lived up to that. I mean, that's the reality of it. And I thought they had done a pretty good job kind of building out their bench here, but I just – I don't trust – I don't know if they have winning players. That That's the big thing for me. You know, certainly Harrison has won um, – right. Harrison Barnes has won a championship, but I just don't – after that, I don't know if there's winning players on there when the games mean something they can kind of get through and – Man, I mean, like, Tina hasn't made the playoffs in what, since, what, 05? To kind of hit the reboot button again, it's like, it, it's not easy. Okay, Bobby, Eric is going to put the moratorium on, so I'm going to get in before it, before it hits. <laughs> um, uh, what about Ben Simmons? Like, to me, I'm convinced right now that Daryl Morey is sitting, is, is sitting on it and standing pat, and until he gets difference makers, not just good players, difference makers that build properly with Joel Embiid. I mean, Joel is arguably having an MVP season. People are saying, is it being wasted right now because they're in sixth? But Daryl Morey seems like until I get somebody I want that's going to fit with Joel and make us a championship contender, Ben, you work for me, you sit down, you're not going anywhere. I wouldn't be surprised if Ben doesn't play this year at all. Like that's it. He's he's done for the year. No, I agree. I I, I would be surprised um, if Simmons is traded by the deadline, um, unless it, uh, as you said, a difference maker becomes available. And I think it, it's harder to do something like that now compared to um, the off season because I mean, you guys know, like what what happens is is that. One, some team will get eliminated in the first round, maybe Brooklyn, right? Or, you know, maybe Boston doesn't get into the play-in. And there's that, there's that bad taste in their mouth where it's thinking, like, the, the roster doesn't work. So maybe it's Jalen Brown or another player. Um, 
And that just kind of opens up the field a lot more for, for Philadelphia here if they kind of just sit tight. And, you know, they'll, they'll probably be a four or five seed. Who knows if they can get out of the first round. Um, and beat is playing at a, a high level. But, uh, you know, someone had mentioned, like, like this is your last big move before you can upgrade the roster around Embiid. So you don't want to blow it on. You know, Sabonis is a nice player, right? But Sabonis and, and Embiid don't fit unless you turn Sabonis into something else. And I think there's a lot of kind of loopholes to, to go through there. And I don't see a top 40 player out there. Um, I don't see Jeremy Grant making a difference um, unless you're getting a lot with him um, as far as players coming back here. And, and I do think Philadelphia will sit tight when we get to, to the deadline, um, unless there's that difference maker out there, which I don't think is. Bobby, is there a team or a player that isn't, maybe being talked about as much or if at all that you in your mind are eyeballing thinking that's a situation that's a team or that's a person that that i could see on the move i'm interested in washington i'm I'm interested in washington i mean they have not played well at all i mean i mean they're losing they're not playing well in defense i mean they lose by what 30 the other night to boston um the roster is intact now um they they were what 10 and 3 to start the season you got the Beal free agency looming. I don't think you can sit pat at the deadline. They got a lot of depth. They got a lot of bigs and they got a lot of forwards there. And what are you going to do to kind of, um, you know, improve at the uh, deadline or, you know, are you just going to ride it out? And hopefully Bradley Beal looks at this roster in the offseason and feels that it's still, you know, good enough to, you know, try to be a, a top four team. And he, you know, he was on a, the pod with, with Woj and he said, like, the goal, like, I, I need to be, you know, this team needs to be a, a four seed, right? That was the goal coming into this season here. And I think Washington's kind of, I've circled them as kind of that wild card going into the deadline um, as a team that could make a move to, you know, try to try to add, you know, add some pieces here. What do you think has happened with them, Bobby? They started off so well. I thought Wes Ansel Jr. was doing a really good job. And they've just, I, I, have, did they catch people by surprise? Did they sneak up on people and all of a sudden now, they're being taken a little bit more seriously. Like what? And there's another team I want to ask you about in a minute. But but for for now, what do you think has happened with Washington? Yeah, I mean, I think if you go back and look at those first 15 games, they were winning a lot of games by you know two, three points. So their their margin um, for error wasn't great. Um, they've had a couple injuries here, um, and then they just haven't defended. I mean, that's that's the big thing here. Um, you know, the Brooklyn game last week, you give up 119 points. There was a lot of lapses uh, during that. I mentioned the Celtic game. Dinwiddie's been kind of up and down. You've gotten good play from Kuzma. Um, but after that, you know, Montrez Harrell's kind of fallen back in the pack. You're trying to integrate some new faces. Um, but I think defensively is kind of the big thing there where, you know, they if you probably look at the last, what, 15, 20 games, they probably rank in the bottom in, in uh, defensive efficiency. Bobby, my follow-up was the Atlanta Hawks. Um, they've won four in a row, four in a row, and now they're only four under five hundred. Uh, I mean, I look at to me, I think they got a lot, maybe too much, too soon last year, getting to the conference yeah. finals. <laughs> a young team, they think, oh, this is easy. This is how it's done. They're not sneaking up on people, and 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 here they are, all of a sudden, halfway through the season, still looking up at the playoff line. Yeah, and it's funny. Everybody got theirs, right? I mean, Trey Young and Capella yeah. and John Collins and, you know, Down Ari the year before. And the guy that's actually saved them is the guy in a rookie contract in DeAndre Hunter. 
I mean, once he's, he came back from his injury, this team kind of took off a little bit, and he's been um, he's played at a, a really good level, and I think that has helped. Um, but man, they, they're they've won as you said, I think four in a row. But there's still a lot of they got to catch up here because I think 500, um, maybe even a little bit better, gets you in a, as a 10th seed here, and they've got some ground to, to make up. But they have played a little bit better. But they're going to need to go on the run that they did last year when Nate took over. Um, I think they were like 26 and 12 during that stretch here. But they've started to defend better. That was a big thing. I mean, defensively they were abysmal, and you know Travis Langer GM was came out and said, you know, basically, I think I made a made the wrong decision bringing this group back. Um, but getting Hunter back healthy, I think, was, was is probably the big thing. That's why we've seen a little bit of a turnaround here. Make sure you check out uh, the new show, The Front Office, with Bobby Marks, and uh, his first episode is out with Cavs president Kobe Altman. Uh, Bobby, thanks, as always, for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bobby. There is Bobby Marks, NBA insider for ESPN, former NBA executive as well. We will continue the conversation as it relates to the NBA, but we'll also kind of reminisce since some Raptor days and much more when Muggsy Bogues joins us next hour. Perfect time to have Muggsy as it's game day for the Raptors against the Hornets tonight and a double dip of Smith & Jones as we will have that action for you on Sportsnet 590 The Fan later on this evening. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. Back with more in a moment. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Game day for the Toronto Raptors, 7 o'clock. Again, make note of the tip time. 7 o'clock tip-off down at Scotiabank Arena, and we will have the action for you right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, myself and Jonesy, uh, with the call as the Raptors then get set for the back-to-back uh, as they will be playing tomorrow against the Bulls in a very busy stretch. We talked about this uh, briefly off the top of the show, Jonesy. Uh, you know, the next four opponents, and Atlanta might be below the Mendoza line, the Mendoza line now being the 10th seed, the playing tournament, but they've won four in a row. Charlotte, Chicago, Miami, Atlanta, Miami, Chicago, Atlanta. I mean, it's a, it's a bear of a sked coming up for the Raptors. Uh, and even after that Raptor, or excuse me, that after that, that Hawks game, that second Hawks game on February 4th, it's another game against Charlotte in Charlotte on February 7th before uh, you get a couple of potentially, potentially winnable games on a back-to-back against OKC and Houston, and that brings you into the middle of February. These next eight against um, teams that, and I'm going to include Atlanta for now, playoff-caliber teams, teams that you could very well face come postseason time, um, you got to be on your game, and you got to be ready starting tonight against the Hornets. Yeah, you do. Uh, you know, it just, it just puts a, a premium on the regular season, uh, especially when you look at the East, the play-in tournament. And if we look at Atlanta, who is sitting in 12th with the Knicks sandwich in between Atlanta and the line, Indiana's a little far back, but you never know. But, I mean, there's 12 teams in 10 spots, so basically you've got 80% of the conference in the playoffs or fighting for the playoffs. So 
you you need to you need to stock wins, man. You need to stock wins. You need to pile them up because you never know what's going to happen. We're going to pick the brain of the man that we've got on the line right now on tonight's game and on on current day. But I want to reminisce a little bit as well and and uh, think back to to Raptor days of the past and so many other memories and experiences and moments that this guy has had in his career, uh, whether it be with the Bullets, the Warriors, the Raptors, and of course with the Charlotte Hornets as well. Uh, veteran NBA guard, and now we can also say author. Uh, his uh, book, due out in April, you can pre-order it right now, Muggsy, My Life, From a Kid in the Projects to the Godfather of Small Ball, Muggsy Bogues, joining us. Muggsy, great to have you on today. Appreciate it, guys. How y'all doing? All good, Muggs, all good. Muggsy, um, listen, we, 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 we've been doing this a lot uh, on, uh, over the course of this show uh, over the last couple of years, you know, hooking up with some some of your former teammates, uh, some Raptors from, from years gone by. Alvin Williams now on the broadcast uh, with the Raptors, and he joins us regularly every week. And, we, we, you know, we talked to, what, Jonesy, about a month ago with Charles Oakley. He's got a book coming out now, too. We, we can't have you on, Muggsy, and not think back to – you know that that run for a couple of seasons, uh, those glory years with 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 you and 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 Dell and Oak and and Vince and AD and the rest and whatever. What stands out for you most, Muggsy, when you think about, although it was brief, your time in Toronto specifically? Well, it was a wonderful time. I mean, as you alluded to, this was the beginning. I mean, you had two young stars in Vince and Tracy, mixed in with some veterans and. Oakley, Antonio Davis, Doug Christie, D. Brown, Del Curry. Um, I can go on, Kevin Willis. I mean, it, it was a mixture. And then when Butch brought us on and, and told us what our role, what he liked us to do in terms of helping Vince and Tracy, you know, reach their full potential, I mean, we were all bought in. And by buying in, we was able to, for the first time, make the playoffs in 2000. And I think that kind of gave the uh, – not only the city, but the franchise, uh, a standing measure stick in terms of where they expected to be and where they expected and where they wanted to go going forward. And ultimately, of course, you know, wound up in 2019 getting a, a championship. So it was it was the beginning, and I think the culture was starting to create there, and I think players wanting to start wanting to be there. And I think Toronto, the city, no longer just became a foreign country. Uh, Muggs, <laughs> Toronto's. You're right. Toronto's far, far past that now. Um, <laughs> how much, how much do you think it took? Like, I mean, your own experience coming to Toronto. I mean, you didn't. You probably knew very little about it when you came here. What attracted you, and what, what did you, what became some of the redeeming qualities to had you have you say, hey man, you know what? I really like this place. Well, it was the beginning. It was the players for, at the beginning. You know, once you knew who was all there, the Charles Oakley, the, you know, the Vince Carter, even though I haven't met Vince, but I knew of Vince, and Tracy McGrady, you know, by playing against those young guys, you know, when we went to opposing team, but just knowing who they were, but the veterans. And then Butch Carter, you know, selling me on the vision of where he wanted to take the franchise. And then once I got there, they're meeting the people, you know, seeing how the people were so supportive, very hospitable. I mean, it was like a match made in heaven for me in terms of ending the terms of winding down my career. Um, everything just seems to be right in terms of what I needed for me personally 
as a basketball player um, at that stage in my career. And even though I was going to come off the bench, um, serve as a veteran, a leader uh, for some of the young guys, Alvin Williams, and, and uh, for mostly, um, that was a, a role that I was looking forward to. So, you know, all that kind of weighed in, and it made my decision, you know, so easy to make. Speaking with Muggsy Bogues, uh, Muggs, listen, I know you guys are still tight. You're still friends to this day, former teammates. You just brought up his name. We've, we've, we've brought him up, uh, up a couple of times. I, I admit to you, Muggsy, this is somewhat selfish, self-serving. I would love to, to, to just get your impression of Alvin back then when you first joined the team, let alone your thoughts on him now because he's one of those guys that, you know, um, I've said for years – I just loved the way that he played the game, he, and, and I say this respectfully, he was never the superstar, but he was the kind of guy that you want on your team, the way that he would grind and the way that he would fight for every possession. And I loved the quote he once gave about, you know, so many guys, I'm sure you're the same, that would, you know, it, they would die on the court if that's what it took. And, and he was the epitome of the true professional in the way that he approached the game and lost in, in the star you know, power and the star talent, maybe in the bigger names like Vince and Tracy and, and obviously guys that have established themselves like yourselves and Oak and whatever else, but there was a guy that was one of those glue-type players in Alvin Williams. I, I, I just love Al Boogie. I love his attitude. I just love him, his hunger for the game. You know, he always tell a story. Uh, in terms of before I got there, when I was with the Golden State Warriors, he was always excited to meet me. And he said that I struggled him off my first time. Uh, but once I got there, I mean, Al was such a he, was, he wanted that. I mean, he was like a sponge, soaking it all up. Um, and when you know you got a guy like that, that's and as a coach, you know, you dream for that type of player. And you know, Al would just wait for his opportunity and waiting for his his, his, uh, his time. You know, in terms of getting on the court, he never soaked. Uh, he never pouted. I mean, of course, he was upset because you know any competitive player, you know, wants to be out on the floor. But he waited his time, and then when he got his time, his opportunity with Lenny Wilkins, um, and he made the most of it. I mean, here it is. You know, they made the, went on to made a game away from or a shot away from making you know the Eastern Conference Finals, and he was one of the main reasons of that. And Al's a team player. He knows how to get everybody involved as well as how to be that leader on that floor. And he's he, he I mean, that's one of the reasons why they had that success as we was you know. Teaching that we was, you know, both spilling out that information, trying to pass it forward. He was right there as again, you know, taking it all in and ready for his opportunity and took full advantage of it. Hey, hey Muggs, how much did it mean to the vets? Because you said, you know, when you when you first came here, it was because of some of the vets, the Kevin Willis, Charles Oakley, uh, Antonio Davis, some of these guys. You, 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 you come here and, and, you know, Doug Christie, D. Brown, you're, you're here with other vets. How much did it mean to you as a veteran player and to some of those guys to say, I'm also making an impression on my, on my peers, on fellow vets, like I'm, I'm also carrying myself in a way to show them something about me as well. You know, you might have known one another from competing, but now you're on the same team, and it's a little bit different. Yeah, well, you know, we knew the character. You know, we knew the character of each other, and that's what you know. Even though we was opposing teams, you know, Oak and I, we, you know, we hung out. We know each other as well as Antonio. Um, so, and of course, Dell and I have been together for eleven years. 
so it was the character, Kevin Willis. You just knew that the characters of the players and knew that what they meant to their up there were the teams that they was with previously. You know, we all was leaders on our previous teams. We all, you know, served as that glue for teams, and we knew what it all took. And for all us to be on that same team, to have had that same understanding and wanted to pass that forward to the young guys, I mean, that's what really made it special. And that's why I think everything went smooth as it did that very first year because of the type of character players that were on that team. Speaking with Muggsy Bogues, a uh, longtime NBA vet, of course, uh, former Toronto Raptors, well, and uh, his new book due out in April. Muggsy, my life from a kid in the projects to the godfather of small ball. Muggsy, I, I'm going to ask you this, and it's 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 somewhat self-serving to some extent, but I'm sure it applies to so many parents out there. Uh, it, listen, I'd say kids, but you know, maybe they're maybe they're in school right now, or or they're listening to this as a podcast later on. Uh, I've got a 12-year-old, and and you know, Muggs. I don't know if you remember, but I'm I'm like five nine, one fifty, soaking wet. So my kid's fighting a losing battle. He's he's not going to be a big kid, I don't think, especially when his mother's uh, you know not 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 very tall either. He gets frustrated sometimes. Like I, I, Muggs, I have no idea if he's ever going to play at any kind of level, high school, college, or otherwise. He might just be a kid that enjoys playing the game and shooting hoops on the street, and that's fine. That is totally fine with me. But there's so many kids like my son and like so many others right now, that can get frustrated because they go play with their buddies and they're not getting picked because they're short or, they're, or they're, they're out there on the, on, the, on the street, on the court, and their shot's getting blocked all the time because they're too small and they can't get off their shot or, or their passes aren't making it through or they can't even get to the hoop or they're finding it hard to even shoot on a 10-foot hoop because they're too small or not strong enough or whatever. How do you fight through that? How did you fight through that? What's your message to kids in terms of just sticking with it and trying to stay mentally strong, let alone making yourself physically stronger and ultimately improving in the game to the point where, heck, you're in the NBA doing this at your size? How, I, I, know, I know I just threw a lot at you, but how, what's, what, what do you say to these kids and young people that are kind of fighting the battle that you obviously fought for a long time yourself? Well, it's, it's what you mentioned earlier. It's the beginning out there having fun. Just trying to pursue a, a hobby at the time that you just love doing. And in the process, you find that you really like it, you have a passion for it, and you want to try to, you know, get better at it. And the only way to do that is to sharpen up your skills and, and trying to be the best you can be. I mean, in terms of being out there and people picking on you and because of you small and you're not being picked, um, I went through all of that. You know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you can find it in the book, and as you've seen it earlier, you know, I, I created my own basketball opportunities. I cut milk crates out and um, tied it on each end of the fence and, and played that way until I got an opportunity to get on that big court. And then when I got on the big court, um, if if I couldn't shoot and get the ball up to that the rim, then, you know, I had to practice and practice and practice until that happened. You know, that was nobody's fault but my own. In terms of people blocking my shot, I had to find a way of how to get it off quicker, you know, in order, because I was smaller, so they couldn't get to that shot. Create more space and um, using my quickness to create more opportunities for myself. So that became more of a skill thing that I had to keep working on. Um, and as far as, you know, waiting my opportunity. And then once I got there, you know, I feel like I worked on my skill enough and, 
you feel like you're good enough and you believe in yourself and you have an impact out there on the court, then, you know, you start to believe that if I'm having success against the best and, you know, playing with the best and I have success against the best, then now I must be included with the best. You know, having that mindset allows you to keep climbing up, allows you to keep playing with the ones that consider to be the best. And But, of course, you got to sharpen your skills. You can't get discouraged. You can't get frustrated with people blocking shots because that's the reason, you know, you got to go and sharpen your skills. you got to go and work on those opportunities and find a way to how to not let my shot get blocked again because you, we had a disadvantage when we were small. Um, so we got to create a way to how to get it off quicker. As I say, create space be fast enough in order to get it off, um, but not to the point to where we're going to let us be discouraged from the game and take our joy away from it where we ain't going to pursue it no more. I mean, it comes with your work ethic and your mindset in terms of if you want to send a pursuit again. Hey, Muggsy, Muggs, Jones, let me just jump in. Understand. Can I just jump in with one other quick one here, Jones? Okay. I just wanted to follow up on that. Muggs, yeah. we, we, we often talk about, you know, and listen, this could apply to, to so many teams in the league, but at least this season with the Raptors, the, the running joke, and it's not really even a joke, it's, it's almost a fact of reality. Damn near everybody on the team is 6'8", six, 6'9", six, uh, and, and, and you're playing sort of positionless basketball a lot of the times with the Raptors because you have so many of the same type of player, and it can be tough on opponents because you've got such, um, you know, such size out there uh, overall from a Raptors perspective. Does that make it tougher, do you think, for players of any size, whether a smaller guy or even some of the big dudes trying to crack through in the game because so many coaches now and general managers and presidents want these flexible, multi-skilled, multi-position players? Or, Muggs, is it at the end of the day, whether you're 5'3 or whether you're 7'3, can you play the game, period? Well, that's, that's the way I had to look at it. I mean, because the height is always going to be there. You know, regardless, as I said, you know, even though I was trying to break down barriers, trying to, you know, fight that big guard uh, mind mentality from these coaches, that's always going to be there because that's the, I guess, more of the uh, the impact that they have on the game, being able to affect the game more by having that type of height, that type of length. Um, so, you know, teams and coaches, you know, they, they become copycatters. And as a small player, you know, you got to fight your way through it where your skill set still impacts the game to the level to where it's, don't, it's not looked upon as your length. It's looked, at, looked upon as the impact that you're having out on the floor. You know, you're that leader. You're out there creating. You're out there impacting in a way, creating tempo, running the, uh, running the game. Like a Chris Paul, like a small still, well, Chris is still 6'1". And that's what people still consider small, you know, in, in, in these time of days, even though back then, you know, Tiny Oswald was 6'1". So these guys, you know, when you look at the smalls, the small stature, like myself, the Spud Webb, the, the, the Earl Boykins, um, you know, you got to continue to impact it in a way where it's looked upon as a liability. I mean, it's an asset as opposed to a liability on both ends of the floor because if you're not – being able to crack that code, then you're not going to get that look. You're not going to be taken seriously. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why you don't see as many small guards that's out there in today's game. I think Tyus Jones is one of the smallest guards that's probably that's still playing today, and I guess he's probably six feet two as well. So 
you know, that that's where I'm looking. You know, the five-foot guys, you know, it's it, it, it's kind of very rare to see these days. Muggs, I was going to ask you about a, an undersized guy we have in Toronto here by NBA standards uh, in Fred Van Vliet. And, and mm-hmm. you know, a real kind of underdog story. Uh, you know, bet on himself, wasn't drafted. Uh, and I look at where he is now, and he should be an all-star this year. What What do you make of of Fred's game, and what do you like when you watch him? I always love Fred's game. And, uh, and the, day, the first day I met him, I told him that. I mean, it's just his grit, his heart. His heart is is, is, is just enormous. Um, the journey that he's been on, that he had to go through to, to get to this level, to prove that he belongs, I mean, it, it speaks for itself. And you're right, he should be an all-star, uh, possible an all-star this year. Um and the, the run that he's having, uh, that he had with Toronto, I mean, Toronto fans should be, you know, should be celebrating because this is he's a he's an impediment of what the Raptors stands for. I mean, he was he's championship uh, bound. Uh, he had the pedigree. Um, he, he's been rewarded for it, and he also, you know, paid his dues. You know, he waited his time. He learned from the best in Kyle and and and. And the and, um, the Rosa, um, so those are the guys that you love to root for. And for me, you know, and that he right, he fits in. He's in that category, you know, that small, undersized guy who continue to, to overcome. And for him to continue to showcase his skills, his talent on the highest stage, I mean, it really inspires a lot of kids out there across the world. Speaking with Muggsy Bogues, Muggsy, I don't know if it's fair to use the word inspires. Who inspires you or maybe more so excites you, uh, makes you sit up in your seat right now when you're watching players, but especially guards in the NBA? And I've got to assume the dude in Charlotte might be among the top. Yeah, he's he's definitely amongst them. He, uh, you know, of course, Stephen is, is a passion and special in my heart. Uh, Steph, uh, I love the Kyrie Irving. I mean, Kyrie just is a, a showstopper whenever he's out on the floor. Um, but I love Ja Morant. I mean, Ja is, is one of them guys that's in the category, should be considered one of the elite top five point guards that's out there right now. I mean, he's really is displaying his, 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 his talent on both ends of the floor and as well as the star carrying that franchise. And, of course, Lamelo. I mean, I'm loving what LaMelo is doing here in Charlotte. I mean, he's really electrifying the crowd. He's getting everybody involved. Um, he just sees it before it happens. And when you see a guy that has that type of skill set um, and that type of growth, I mean, it's only, you know, what, 20 years old? It's, it's ridiculous. Um, so um, it's exciting to, to see him on a nightly basis. Um, the sky's the limit for him. Um, as well as the franchise, and hopefully these guys can be the face of the of the NBA for quite some time, um, because a change is coming. You know, with these guys, other guys are getting older. Uh, we need that 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 fresh, some fresh faces who not only are stars but continue to be superstars in our league, and he's one of the tops among them. Muggs, you've been connected with that Charlotte franchise kind of loosely on and off for your whole career. Um, 
Should we be giving Michael Jordan more credit for kind of helping to turn this thing around? It's been a long, slow turn, but I mean, they were in the play-in last year. They're 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 sitting in seven right now, and 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 look like they're going to be, you know, in the mix against this again this year. A lot of people bang on Michael for bad decisions and what he hasn't done. It looks like he's finally getting it right now. Absolutely. I mean, it takes time. You know, when you own a franchise and you're making that transition from a player to owner, I mean, it takes time. You know, you, you got your heart in it as a player, and then you got your thinking caps down as an owner. Um, but it takes more than yourself. I mean, it takes people that are around you. You look at all the organizations that are successful, not just that one individual it's a team effort and you know unfortunately he didn't have the right team around him early on and uh, now he's able to put their right team around him and and they performing uh, Mitch Kupchak came in here and did an unbelievable job not only getting rid of contracts but bringing in quality players and, and bringing in the team that a great putting on a uh, putting a great product on the floor uh, for the fans to, to be excited about um, the ticket fan base has, has increased. I mean, you can't ask for no more than that. So you got to give credit where credit is due, and it always starts at the top. So once, you know, those things start to happen, I mean, you know, and putting people in the right position, then you start to getting, you know, proper results. So I think Michael understood that, and he realized that he needed, you know, people to, you know, to, to see his vision and to bring it to a fruition, and, and here we are today. So I'm, I'm happy that it came to this because, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a good, great owner, guy from the Carolinas. I mean, who couldn't – I mean, what more can the story be? You know, a guy who played, who became one of the greatest players to ever play this game, had won a successful franchise in his own, in his own home state. So I'm excited about it. Again, the new book is called Muggsy, My Life, From a Kid in the Projects to the Godfather of Small Ball. It is out in April, but you can pre-order it right now wherever you get your books. Always love chatting with Muggsy Bogues. Muggsy, uh, thanks for the time today. Look forward to seeing you one of these days. Uh, Stay safe and healthy, and uh, all the best to you and the family. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. All the best to you all. Good luck to you. Thanks very much, Muggsy. Muggsy Bogues, uh, former Toronto Raptor, longtime NBAer, uh, veteran, 14 seasons with the Bullets, Hornets, Raptors, and Warriors. As the Raptors tonight get set for the Hornets, seven o'clock again. The tip-off first night of the back-to-back for the Raptors, so it's a seven o'clock tip-off between the Raptors and Hornets down at Scotiabank Arena, and a chance for the Raptors to jump back above 500 again and get back on track following that loss a couple of nights ago to the Portland Trail Blazers, and. Uh, Certainly a chance to to see, you know, Scotty Barnes, Jonesy, back doing his thing. He's one of the guys, obviously, you think about when I referenced earlier in our conversation there with Muggsy about all these dudes being, you know, 6'8", 6'9", multi-skilled, multi-talented, multi-position, whatever else. Uh, Scotty continues to play well this season, and uh, they're going to need him tonight because it's not just about, uh, you know, Mello and, and what he does. There's a lot of weapons on this Charlotte team. And to your point about, you know, the slow build and the slow grind, uh, they've, they've taken some time, but they certainly look like they're there now. And they might be a team, to now reference another conversation we had earlier about trade deadline and stuff, I wonder if they're one of those clubs ready to strike or needing to strike to get that next piece or to get something to kind of mm, help them get over that hump and really put them into true contender-type mode. 
Yeah, and and uh, you don't want to try to accelerate the timetable, E, and throw everything True. off. Like, I mean, I, I mean they're they're on. And it's what I talked about yesterday. I, I think if you make a deal, it's always with an eye to the future, uh, rather than okay, let's go for it and push all our chips into the middle. And then if you lose that hand or or you lose a couple of hands, now you got no chips at all. So I, I, I think you can, uh, you know, I, I think they're like Toronto in that sense. You're, you're building, you've got good things. Um, there's, there's an element of patience, I think, that has to be exercised, even though you're trying to improve and looking to the future.